Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So that is why I wear cologne to get the feeling right. I thought you walked alone to get the feeling right, but uh, I guess not. Nope. We're live, Neil. Nope. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Very excited to talk about some Blink-182 and some pop punk from the 90s and 2000s. It's going to be a great episode. But first, I feel like we need to do a quick review. You and I both saw the Barbie movie last week. We didn't see it together. We uh, we saw it separately, which is fine. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about it and find out what your opinion was of it. Did you love it as much as the critics are praising it? Yeah, it was a last-minute view- uh, viewing with a friend of the show, Brian Tong, who's uh, uh, moving out to Vancouver. So I want to be uh, be able to see him and he's like do you want to go see barbie and i was like yes heck, yes, heck yeah <laughs> <laughs> saw it and uh it was fantastic i really loved it uh it was mm-hmm. uh there were so many great parts I-, I think about this a lot for movies that i see nowadays if if i can remember it like a week from now it's a good movie mm-hmm. i can i can, if i can remember lines and scenes i find like a lot of these marvel movies i leave the theater and i immediately <laughs> forget everything that happened and could not tell you a single line from the movie. Literally like a Thanos snap. Like <laughs> it's gone from your brain. <laughs> exactly. It is now dust. But um, but yeah, the, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Barbie movie, a lot of that stuck with me. The, the songs were, were great for sure. Oh, yeah. uh, not going to spoil what uh, what good mm. 90s alt-rock band uh, song got put in there. But I, I screamed when... Um, when I heard it, not only on the radio in the movie, but also uh, when the Kens were playing it, uh, when they're going to mm-hmm. play guitar at you. Uh, my favorite yep. line in the entire movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> great cast of characters, really well casted for sure, like expertly casted, honestly, um, with even like Michael Sarah as Alan, which was so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of good Canadian content in there. Simi Liu, um, Ryan Gosling, and Michael Sarah, all ca- good Canadian boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ryan Gosling, I got to say, like obviously Margot Robbie, the perfect fit for Barbie. She did a great job, but Ryan Gosling killed it. He was so good as Ken, and uh, and honestly loved every minute that he was on screen. American or America Ferrera, also Will Ferrell, of course, uh, was mm-hmm. fantastic. And I knew he was in it. I wasn't sure what his role was, um, so that was cool to see him <laughs> in that. Uh, I think the only like downside, or maybe only criticism I had for the movie was. The editing and maybe just like the the pace of the movie felt very janky at times. It, it mm. went from like super comedy to like serious to like comedy again to like like uh, this like lighthearted area to comedy. Like it just was. I don't know. It was yeah. it was very kind of janky in terms of the editing. But that, that's a relatively small criticism. Like I think they I think they did it really well. The self awareness was key. Uh, yeah. I think if you didn't make it self-aware, it would be a really bad movie. <laughs> like you gotta, so it's a to- everyone knows what Barbie is. Like it's, uh, you know, you gotta introduce it properly. Helen Mirren as a narrator was also fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Just a great movie all around, and I'm excited to see uh, the next uh, the the sequel to Barbie Oppenheimer. Yeah, no, Barbenheimer, the Barb, what was it, the Barb- Barbie, Pikmin, and Oppenheimer, all on July 21st. It was quite the day in uh, in in mankind, and a good day for, for Cineplex and movies in general. It's one of the biggest box office weekends of all time. I think the biggest in July of all time, thanks to mostly Barbie. I, I would love to know how Oppenheimer would have done without Barbie in theater. Mm. I feel like it it is i feel like oppenheimer is the one riding off the coattails of barbie 
in this situation. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, planning on seeing it in the next week or two. I did not see the double feature that a lot of folks out there are doing, which is an amazing idea, but I do not have seven or six or seven hours to spend in the theater in one night. Um, but I will enjoy seeing these movies separately, and I loved it for all of the same reasons you said. Again, going to keep this as spoiler-free as possible, which is going to be hard to do, but the actors were all perfectly picked. I, I loved the script. The jokes were all really funny. Um, you, you mentioned the pacing. This felt the most like a like a kind of like almost a 2000s comedy date night movie where it's like, no, we're just going to get the main plot points done quick. Yeah. I think the movie's only maybe two hours. Yep. It's an all killer, no filler movie, honestly. Like there's no scenes in the film where I was like, okay, this probably could have been gone or yeah. this scene could have been shorter. Everything felt perfect. And I loved uh, I loved all the actors. Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling are perfect. Uh, They're perfect pairing in this one. Um, I love the, the set design. Everything looked like a blown up version of the uh, all of the sets, the car, the, the houses from the Barbie set. Very cool. Um, I loved how fourth wall breaking it was. Yeah. Uh, I loved how ridiculous the story was, but everyone was kind of went along with it. It made it very campy, yep. but also believable at the same time. Like there's this Barbie world that is integrated with the real world <laughs> and they have it set up. So it's like that uh, Mattel knows about this other world, but it's not another dimension or it's not another I forget what they called it in the film now, but basically they kind of shut down the, the concept of a Marvel crossover right away. Yeah. There was like, there was like a one line there where it's like, is it just an idea or is it another dimension? And the guy's like, it's another idea. Um, I was like, perfect. Um, but it was an honestly a great experience for me because this was a, my first VIP movie experience. Oh. I, I went, I went very fancy with this one with my fiance and her mom. Uh, I was one of, I think two men in the theater, which was awesome. Good. There was like two or three jokes in there where it was just me and him that laughed oh. at it. <laughs> Love that. And at one point I laughed at him laughing at a joke because I was like, I don't know if I can laugh at that. Um, so it was a really cool experience. No children in the theater, no one texting, didn't see anybody vape. So it was a great experience. I think I'm broken and I'm probably going to have to see more movies in VIP from now on. But uh, yeah, uh, Oppenheimer will probably be the next movie. I was thinking what, what's left in the year. We're now more than halfway through 2023. And uh, I feel like I've seen most of the movies that I'm going to see at this point. The only ones that I can think of other than Oppenheimer uh, I'm tentatively optimistic for the new Wonka film. Actually looks okay. Uh, the new Hunger Games movie, I would like to go see it. I wasn't a huge fan of the last one that came out in like 2015 or whatever, but the new the new movie looks pretty good. Uh, and then the Disney animated film Wish actually looks not bad. I know Disney's having a terrible year um, with all of their live action movies and I think their Marvel films still do okay, but their animated output has been pretty rough the yeah. last couple of years. But the new, the new one from the classic Disney animated uh, studio looks like it's going to be pretty good. How about you, Mike? Are there any movies left in 2023 that you're looking forward to? It's funny. Like, Hunger Games is just, like, one of those franchises that I, I've never known anyone who is, like, into them. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they, it's just like, oh yeah, Hunger I, it's Games. Probably just... me. It's probably me. Is it's probably me who's into it the most out of anybody you know. I've read the books and I've seen all the movies. It's true, yeah. But you're 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 not. You're like, yeah, the movies are okay. Like you're not like, yeah. Um, yeah you're just like, this is fine. Like they're they don't blow you it's away. Like a B tier. Yeah, it's a it's a very B tier franchise. Um, so it's funny that they're like doing like the prequels to them now. I'm like, I guess this is fine. Like I don't know. Like mm -hmm. it's certainly not something that interests me. Um, because I feel like. Yeah. The prequels would be interesting. I heard Donald Sutherland's voice in the um, in the the trailer, and I was like, I know him. He was in the movies. <laughs> um, Wonka looks for for sure good. Another prequel uh, as well. Uh, uh, Hollywood loves prequels for sure. Oh yeah, that's where we are. That's where, that's where we are. Let's just go back every time. It's Wonka looks good. It's interesting. I'm. I will. 
I will wait to, I'll, I'll obviously save my criticism for when I see the movie. I'll definitely see the movie because uh, Willy Wonka is one of my favorite uh, characters and favorite uh, movies of all time, for sure, the Gene Wilder one. Mm. And yeah. really happy that they're just going to retcon the uh, Charlie <laughs> the Chocolate Factory, Johnny Depp version, which is just a massive fever dream of a movie uh, that makes yeah. no sense and has an even worse <laughs> video game. Check it out on our movies tie-in, movie tie-ins uh, episode where we... Talked at length about the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory unplayable game, which is just horrendous. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that trailer was good. That got me pretty hyped, to be honest. Um, yeah, and that's probably it for me for now. Other than the Barbie sequel, Oppenheimer. Uh, that's that's. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure more stuff will come in December, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure there's going to be lots of random things here and there on uh, Amazon and Netflix and whatever else. Also, we're obviously very big about catching up on old stuff. So I'm sure that we'll have a reason to cover uh, more movies on this podcast in our opening segments. But something that we also talk about in the opening segments of our podcast, Mike, is our NFT report, the Nintendo Financial Times. We got an update on uh, Nintendo Switch sales. Uh, we got a new update here on the sales of the console, the top 10 games currently, and a couple other updates here. You've got a whole bunch of notes, so I'll, uh, I'll let you kick it off. What are, what are, what's our Switch update for this quarter? Lots of stuff happening. 130, almost 130 million Switches have now been sold, about 4 million more since the last quarter. Uh, getting closer and closer to that 150, uh, mark that PS2 has, 155, so we could see it. We could see it. It's, uh, it'll be close. It's, it's gonna be tight, as, uh, as one would say. Uh, top Top 10 games are basically the same, you know, Mario Kart 8, Animal Crossing, uh, Smash, Breath of the Wild, Odyssey, uh, which moved ahead of Sword and Shield, probably thanks to the movie, um, and Mario movie, uh, Sword and Shield, obviously next, Scarlet and Violet, uh, Mario Party, and then Tears of the Kingdom coming in at number nine now, and then new Jeez. Super Mario Bros. U, uh, which is uh, now knocked down to 10th because of Tears of the Kingdom, Ring Fit no longer in the top 10 and uh that is pretty crazy that we had tears of the kingdom uh coming there that fast we said last time we did the nft report we said or we asked ourselves where do we think that um tears of the kingdom would land and well it landed ninth and and this data by the way this data is just until june 30th so that's about six five six weeks of being out basically nearly 20 million copies sold in six weeks damn yeah, that that's crazy. I I honestly I was hopeful that Tears of the Kingdom would do well. I did not think it was going to launch this high. So it's probably already between Mario Party and Scarlet and Violet. Yeah. At this point, I'm assuming by the end of the year it'll pass Scarlet and Violet, especially since that only counts like you said up to the end of June, you said. Yep. Um, so we still have half a year left. What's crazy is the difference between Nintendo sales and uh, Sony sales. I'm not counting Microsoft here because they don't really track their sales. But Spider-Man on PS4, which is a very high-selling game on the PlayStation 4 from 2018, it's been out for almost five years, has sold 20 million copies, meaning that Tears of the Kingdom has already outsold that game. Very good game. Uh, Highest-selling game on the PS4. Already outsold it in less than, is that two months not even two months. That is yeah. wild how much power Nintendo first party output has That's over the other guys. Absolutely crazy. And like and the fact that Tears of the Kingdom will probably beat Breath of the Wild if it if it keeps going on this trend, which is another crazy thing to think of. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a lot to unpack and I'm excited to see when we do an NFT report uh next and see kind of where Tears of the Kingdom uh, lies there. I'm, I'm predicting it'll probably be around Odyssey, around 26 million next time we, we talk, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, there's some other crazy stats here. So Mario Kart 8 with sitting at 
over 60 million units sold uh, between the Wii U and the Switch. Uh, that makes Mario Kart 8 the best-selling Nintendo game of all time, uh, other than Wii Sports, of course, because I'm not counting that because that's dumb, uh, <laughs> uh, which is just just insane. Uh, and also 16 Switch games now have sold over 10 million units. And wow. for reference, there are only 50 Nintendo games to ever sell over fifty, uh, over ten million units, and sixteen of them are Switch games. Jeez, so the Switch has a thirty-two percent, uh, percent, thirty-two percentage of that pie of the over 10, 10 million club in Nintendo. That's yeah, that's wild. Uh, again, we've talked about this a whole bunch. It's so much fun for us to go back and look at what our thoughts were of the Switch back in two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, and how we thought this this console was going to flop. We thought, you know, Breath of the Wild was going to be it. Nintendo's going to go third party. They're going to start publishing their games on Xbox, PC, and maybe Sony. And here we are. It's it's one of the. It's probably. It's going to go down as Nintendo's biggest home console of all time. I we, we mentioned there at the beginning, uh, will it pass the PS2? I think it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's selling 4 million units per quarter right now, that's 16 million a year. The Switch probably has another two years left in it. I've started. We're starting to hear rumors that the Switch 2, whatever it's going to be called, is going to come out next year. So I'm thinking maybe holiday 2024 mm-hmm. or spring 2025. So we've got a lot of time, a lot of a uh, lot of more, lot more games to come out. Nintendo is doing very well with Mario Odyssey is picking up some steam for reasons due to the uh, the movie that just came out. And it we also got in the Nintendo report here. The movie has a total box office around the world of 1.3 billion USD. Wow. That's as of August 1st. So Nintendo is now doing very well with their games and they're now getting into movies. So they're slowly becoming the new Disney uh, in terms of this mass media company. They've got their uh, theme parks opening slowly mm-hmm. around the world. So they're definitely doing very well. And it's going to be very exciting to see how they do in the next two years. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say it today. I think the Switch will outsell the PS2. All right, there we go. That's the hot take from Neil. Uh, <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> and 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 one more thing, Pikmin Four, which of course was the, uh, the part of the Barbenheimer um, uh, release. Uh, Pikmin Four has already sold an estimated one to two million do- uh, million units, uh, and that means that it could probably hit ten million, which would be would make it by far the best selling Pikmin game of all time. Nice. Uh, for reference, uh, Pikmin Three Deluxe sold two point four million. Uh, which was double what any other Pikmin had sold up to that point. <laughs> Ten million on a Pikmin game. Never thought I would see the day when uh, when I was you know playing Pikmin three back in two thousand and fourteen, and I was very niche, very uh, very niche genre, uh, very small fan base. And now I'm so glad to see Pikmin four is doing well. I haven't picked it up yet. I'm still playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom. I've been playing a couple of games that are coming up uh, for this podcast. So I'm waiting on it. I'll probably play it uh, in the winter time. at this point, honestly. Yeah. We've got so many amazing fall games coming out. So Pikmin 4 will always be there. I- I'm I'm thrilled to hear all the positive reviews that have been coming out. I hope it does hit 10 million units because, honestly, I would love to not have to wait 10 years in between <laughs> Pikmin games. That would be fantastic for uh, for someone like me. That would be lovely, Neil. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, just some news in right now. Uh, apparently no one likes you when you're 24 um wait a minute that's not really that's not right oh that sounds like a song that i know mike off of a great album uh by the band blink 182 Hmm. uh so that actually is a perfect segue into today's episode i guess we should uh we've talked about movies we've talked about games it's probably time that we talk about some music what do you think let's do it neil 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 24 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are currently the number one active podcast talking about Tom DeLong. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Last week, we talked about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. We also said we would be covering Super Mario World this week. We lied. This week, we are jumping into music. Music mode to talk about a classic pop punk album from the late 1990s. Uh, if you had a Discman or a stereo player in your room back in the day, this CD was definitely on regular rotation. And if you have Spotify and Apple Music, it probably still is in regular rotation for you. I'm of course talking about the third studio album from classic pop punk band Blink-182's Enema of the State, which was released on June 1st, 1999, performed by Blink-182, produced by Jerry Finn, clocks in at 35 minutes and 17 seconds, sold 15 million copies worldwide, which is the same as Weezer's Blue album. It's a pop punk album, probably one of the most important pop punk albums of all time. Mike, what are your memories of Blink-182 back in the day and uh, the first time you heard Enema of the State? Oh, wow. I'm I mean, so Blink-182, I didn't hear Enema of the State first. The, my first introduction for Blink was actually the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, which is mostly Enema of the State anyways, and some yeah. of their other stuff. But that was my first introduction to them. I think it was like a friend's older brother, very, you know, a typical style in that way, uh, had the CD and would play it. And it was just full of just dirty language and like, <laughs> terrible little things like that they would say in it and as an eight-year-old you're just like why are they saying like oh my god like this is crazy uh so that was like a secret thing that we would do and like listen to like their there's their dumb fart jokes and dad jokes and stuff um and that was really cool and i kind of just you know knew them as like that kind of the poop joke band basically like the uh, i didn't really think of them as a musical band or anything uh, i knew some of the songs because of that i knew all the the little lyrics that they would say that were funny to me but it wasn't until uh the self-titled slash untitled uh album came out uh in 2003 when i was around 10 that's when i i first started listening to blink a lot uh, bad timing because they would break up the next year. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's when I, I really started getting in, getting into them. I remember there was a kid in our, uh, I guess we were in grade five or grade six. Uh, there was a kid in my class who had the the, C, the new Blink CD. And I remember I was like trading and he had a Discman. And, and we would kind of go around and just like, listen to like one song and you pass it off to the other person and you both have like the headphones on it, that's such a uh, iconic experience in my mind and we were that was when we were both at the same school neil in elementary school uh mm-hmm. of craig do you remember craig uh it's yeah the, i do yeah yeah so yeah. uh but craig was he had he had the blink 182 cd and that was a big deal i was like oh my god you got the cd where'd you get it because <laughs> uh, you know i had the parental advisory on it too so it's yeah. like oh wow like your mom bought it for you <laughs> and um and that was cool uh, and i I didn't think too much of it because I'm like, oh wow, like this is Blink. Uh, of course, I was if I was older, I would have been like, whoa, this is different. This is a lot different than like Blink's older stuff. Like, what's going on here? Um, so that was my first introduction to them, really listening to them, and then obviously got into them more as I discovered them. Got a bit older, I started to relate a lot more to the lyrics because when you're a kid, you just relate to the poop jokes instead of like <laughs> uh, being in high school or being in college and stuff like that. So. Uh, really, as I got older, I kind of grew with Blink even more, um, hearing 
Enema here in Dude Ranch. Uh, not really getting into Cheshire Cat because that's a tough album to listen to. <laughs> uh, and then going back to the Mark Tom and Travis show whenever I could too because I, I loved that album. And uh, and that's kind of how I got into Blink and, and I basically stayed into Blink. Uh, you know, there were some ups and downs for sure where I where when Neighborhoods came out, I was like, I don't like this. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, I saw them in 2013 when they were honestly really bad. I saw them in Chicago and Tom just sounded like he was impersonating Tom on stage. Uh, they did no, no one seemed to be into it. Uh, ha- was lucky enough to be able to see them again this year, 10 years later uh, with you, Neil, where it was a, a night and day level of performance and uh like you said i guess this is what happens when you become sober uh or or don't aren't completely plastered on stage so that was really nice to see (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was an incredible show seeing the uh the 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 second or third third reunion reunion, i think i think it's their second reunion tour technically i don't know at this point but yeah tom delong thankfully he's uh he's sober now no longer uh an alcoholic and Honestly, I would. I think he was probably on cocaine for a while, but he's. They've definitely turned themselves around. It's. It's good to have Blink One Eighty Two back. And your story is very similar, I'm sure, to a lot of uh, people our age and perhaps younger discovering Blink One Eighty Two in elementary or middle school. Uh, I was the exact same way. Uh, I talked a bit about this in our Sum Forty One episode that we did, uh, All Killer No Filler, a couple months ago. If you haven't already, go back and check out mm-hmm. that episode. That was a lot of fun. Another great band, great pop punk band in the same vein as Blink One Eighty Two. But uh, this. This style of music was the first kind of music that I got into that wasn't what my parents were introducing me to. Uh, My parents introduced you and I, our parents were very similar, you and I to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Queen and all of those classic rock bands. But discovering bands like Blink-182, Sum 41, Simple Plan, Green Day, Good Charlotte, even these 2000s pop punk bands was... Uh, the genre that most kids our age were discovering. Uh, And then, of course, you know, hip hop and other artists like that as well. But pop punk was very popular uh, in our in our friend groups. And I remember specifically, I also had a friend at the same elementary school. You were in the French immersion side of the school and I was in the English side. And uh, you, of course, remember Avi. I I remember Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't remember if it was grade five or six, but I specifically remember, I think we had a music project of some kind. I don't know what the context was, but he mentioned uh, his favorite band being Blink-182. And this must have been around the time that the self-titled album came out, but he was mostly talking about their uh, their fourth album, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Uh, I forget what song he was talking about now, but he had the CD with him. And I remember that one, th- that, that album cover is very classic as well. Uh, and from there, I, I knew of them. I knew that they were very much in the same scene as all my favorite bands, but didn't listen to them all that much. Didn't buy their CDs until I was in high school. I, of course, heard a lot of their songs on Much Music and MTV and everything, uh, What's My Age Again, and all the small things being on regular rotation. Uh, I even remember some of these songs being played on the radio back in the day, but never got into the full records or B-sides or anything like that until way later. I remember specifically, I had a Big Shiny Tunes 9 CD. I guess it might have been my brother's, and uh, Feeling This was on that one. Mm. Big Shiny Tunes 9 was actually a pretty good one. Uh, I think it had Billy Talent on there, too. Um, River Below, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember listening to that song and being blown away by Tom. The sound of Tom's voice was very different from anything I'd ever heard before. It was kind of this, honestly, to be blunt, like whiny, 
uh, kind of screaming, kind of not sound. It was very, very unique and not something I had really heard before. Uh, and even the drums, Travis Barker on drums were insane. I love that guitar riff. And shortly after that, I was, uh, I was very much into learning how to play guitar. And one of my friends, Jason came over, he was also learning how to play guitar. And he pretty much only, I think, learned maybe some Ill Scarlet and Blink-182. That's basically all he played. And he played the intro riff to Stay Together for the Kids, again, off of uh, nice. Take Off Your Pants. And I thought that was the coolest sounding riff ever. I was like, yo, what's that? You got to show me how to play that. And he's like, you don't know Stay Together for the Kids? And I was like, no. And we end, I ended up, this was maybe 2007, 2008. We ended up jumping down the YouTube rabbit hole because everybody knows the only thing I used YouTube for for the first three years was music videos. <laughs> and we watched all the Blink-182 music videos and stay together for the kids one. And from there, I was listening to all of their stuff. Uh, I remember grade 10 and 11 specifically listening to everything. Again, not so much Cheshire Cat. I, I found that album hard to get into as well. But uh, Dude Ranch, Enema of the State, Take Off Your Pants, and their self-titled record were regular on my iPod Nano at the time. Um, and I learned a bunch of their songs on guitar. I eventually saw them live during their first uh, hiatus reunion tour in, uh, I guess it was 2009 was when they came to Toronto. That was an amazing show just based on who opened for them. Weezer opened for them. Uh, Taking Back Sunday opened for them. And I think AFI opened for them as well. It was an insane wow. reunion tour. Yeah. And it was also just before they put out Neighborhoods. So I didn't have to hear any songs <laughs> off of that record. What a perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was it was the perfect time. Honestly, it was great to see them. They played they played all their hits, obviously, which is what they do. And I didn't see them again until 2019 when they had their um, 20th anniversary of Enema of the State, which was a very weird tour because on the one hand, it was 20 years since this iconic record, but it was still during the Matt Skiba era. And no no shade thrown at Matt Skiba. I thought he did a great job filling in for Tom in the California and Nine era, but it was still very weird to hear him play uh, all the small things and, you know, what's my age again and, and all these other songs that are supposed to be Tom songs. Uh, the audience was still very much into it and he did a good job, but I still would have loved to have seen that with with Tom. Uh, and now fast forward four years later, Blink-182 is back. We saw them live this year. It's the not the original trio, but the the trio that everybody knows. Uh, Mark, Tom and Travis are all back again. They're telling dick jokes like they're supposed to and they're playing all these great songs. Tom is sober and I'm hoping that they don't disband again because the world definitely needs Blink-182. They've been around for a long time, Mike. 31 years of Blink-182, which is crazy to think they're that old now. That is crazy to think of. 31 years of Blink. Jeez. That's, uh, man, now I feel old, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel old too, man. 1992, California formed uh, three members, Tom DeLong, Mark Hoppus, and Scott Rayner, the original drummer of the band. Uh, he left their, the lineup in 1998 um, due to, he was a bit of an alcoholic, I think. They had uh, quite a few arguments on stage and off stage. and see you around. <laughs> Yeah, if you watch their old music videos, especially the Damn It music video and the Josie music video, you'll see the drummer is not Travis Barker. But the band was luckily touring with a, a ska band called the Aquabats, uh, and their drummer was Travis Barker at the time, and he filled in for them while they were on tour. Uh, he basically spent 20 minutes, I think it was, 20 or 40 minutes, learning their 20-minute set and nailed it on the first try. Oh, yeah. And he, he's an amazing drummer. We're going to talk a lot about him today, obviously. Uh, and since then, that's been the the threesome lineup. Uh, other than the Matt Skiba era, it's been Mark, Tom, and Travis. That's the band everybody knows them for. Uh, the band currently has nine studio albums to date. They have one live album, which is the Mark, Tom, and Travis show that you talked about, which I love that live album. Uh, it's on Spotify now. So if anybody hasn't listened to that, definitely go check it out. 
the band has sold 50 million records worldwide and are still considered the king of pop punk and in some cases scene band for like emo they cross over to basically every group that you had in high school yeah Trap kids listen to them jocks listen to them the emo kids listen to them they're one of the only bands that did that and they've influenced of course countless uh kids to start playing music starting a band and there's also uh, equally uh, many imitating bands that sound a lot like Blink-182 if you look around on Spotify. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's been going on since Blink's been popular, honestly, since uh, really since 99, mm-hmm. I think, is is when obviously Blink hit their stride, which is uh, with this album. But um, first, let's let's talk about the Spotify ranking, Neil. This is one of your favorite segments is, is where <laughs> the albums sit on Spotify's popular releases for the band. Yeah, I love this. Uh, I checked it out. It's not bad, I will say. From uh, uh, the lowest to highest, we have number nine, their ninth album, which came out, I think that was like 2019, just before the pandemic. Uh, Number three is their self-titled Blink-182. Number two, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And then number one, Enema of the State. How do you feel about that ranking, Mike? Any albums missing? Any albums too high? What what are your thoughts? Nope, that... That makes sense. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's actually probably what it should be. It's uh, Enema is, yeah. is arguably their best-selling and most popular album. Uh, Take off your pants, of course, uh, being number two for sure. Uh, self-title being the the more controversial but still beloved um, album, uh, number three, uh, and then yeah, nine being their newest release in theory. Uh, is mm-hmm. uh, I mean, once yeah. their once their new album, if they do end up making a new album, they only have one song and they've gone. <laughs> quiet since but um if they do end up making a new album and that will be number one because it's you know the newest Mm -hmm. release of course but yeah i'm okay with that yeah i would like to see dude ranch in this top four i feel like that has i mean i get it that it's not in the top four it has that has damn it on it and josie and a few others but this definitely makes a lot more sense my favorite album by them is their 2000s live album which is uh just a fantastic it's like an hour long it's really good it's very funny they're, they sound great live. It's probably the best they had ever sounded live. Yeah. Um, highly recommend you listen to it if you haven't already. It's got everything off of Cheshire, Dude Ranch, and uh, Enema of the State. Uh, they put it out just before uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket came out. And I think that album also has a B-side on it, which we will talk about a little bit later. But do you have a favorite Blink album, Mike, before we jump into Enema? Uh, it's probably Mark Tom and Travis show. Although when you listen to it now, you're like, oh man, these jokes are bad. <laughs> these, these show, <laughs> it, it does. The jokes have not aged great. If you grew up with the Jackass era, obviously you're like, okay, this is like this time this is in 2000 i get it but uh, if you're a new person listening to this record for the first time you're gonna be like oh my god this is problematic but uh yeah don't it's 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 a product of the time it's uh that's how it is i, I mean enema yeah. is probably my favorite actual blink album um maybe followed by self-titled after that it, it depends it, it changes mm-hmm. i don't like take off your pants as much as most people um it just there, there are obviously songs on there that I love, but it, uh, it doesn't feel I don't know. Some of the songs just feel a little cheap to me, and we'll also get into yeah. that as uh, as we go go through this. But of course, the cover of Enema of the State is what makes it so iconic, at least in my opinion. It's so recognizable. It's it's so uh, it's so that era as well, that two thousands era. Uh, it's got the 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 classic p- uh, pill logo of Blink One Eighty Two and the nurse. Is just everything about that that cover just is like tattooed on my brain. 
Yeah, it's an iconic record. The nurse on the front. Uh, uh, the the picture is of actually a porn star named uh, Janine Linden Mulder. I think I'm saying that right. The band do claim that they did not know that she was a porn star at the time. I don't believe that. And uh, the rubber glove is a reference to. There's actually a reference to her holding up her hand with a rubber glove on it. The original name of the album, Mike, was supposed to be "Turn Your Head and Cough." <laughs> which would have been awesome <laughs> uh, that sounds right uh, go a little simple plan, uh, simple plan route and uh, have your your albums as like sex jokes basically oh simple plans stole that from blink oh uh, i know yes they, yeah <laughs> yeah they definitely did they, they yeah that that's very much a pop punk thing to make your uh to give your album a bit of a sexual or an inappropriate innuendo uh enema of the state is a is a great title though they, they're, they're so good at naming their songs and their records but uh i guess we'll run through the track listing here uh it's a very uh very tight uh, album 12 tracks in total uh we've got uh dump weed don't leave me aliens exist going away to college what's my age again uh Gary, Adam's Song, All the Small Things, The Party Song, Mutt, Wendy Clear, and The Anthem. So I guess that we'll go by track by track and uh, talk about what we like about each song, starting with Dumpweed, the first song on the album. And this is a Tom song. Mike, what are your thoughts on the first track of Enema of the State? I mean, Dumpweed is one of my favorite blink songs of all time for sure and it just mm-hmm. it, it starts the album off perfectly it, the the riff is is classic blink uh and i i love hearing that to start off like anything in the mark tom and travis show i believe that's what starts off the uh the whole record as well and just such a banger yep. Yeah, it's an amazing intro. Uh, not the most iconic Blink-182 intro, but I think it's my favorite on the album. Uh, I love that like that swinging kind of guitar riff that they got at the beginning. Um, and then it's got the quick, fast pick that Tom did. A lot more on Dude Ranch than on this one, but uh, this one feels like the most kind of old school Blink-182 song, I would say. Uh, the lyrics haven't aged particularly well in this one. Uh, it's a bit of a misogynistic song, actually. Uh, it's about Tom not, or it's about a guy, I guess, from a guy's perspective, saying that... Uh, He's not really all that fond of his girlfriend, and he needs a girl that he can train. Um, so not the best in terms of lyrics uh, standing the test of time. I, I always uh, – so this is going to be a theme throughout a lot of these, these songs off this album. Uh, I never knew what some of the lyrics were, and so like friends of, of ours would always change them, and we'd say like like dirty lyrics or make them funny. Uh, this is one of the ones that I just had – I never knew as a, as a kid of like a girl I can chain – that's what people would tell me. They're like, oh, like, okay, that's that's even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to spin that in a good light. Yeah, it's, it's uh, some of the songs here, definitely written by a couple of guys in their early 20s, I guess 23. Uh, and you can tell. Um, yeah, some, some of these words, some of the words have not aged particularly well. By the way, when I say that it's a Tom song, I mean uh, that most of the song is sung by Tom. There's a mix of Tom and Mark songs on the album. Uh, they actually have an even split, which is nice. Six Tom and six Mark songs. But I must say that all songs on this record are Travis Barker songs because the drums are never the issue on any of the songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really are Travis songs. Like, it, it's just so funny that, um, you know, Travis 
kind of serendipi- serendipitously joins Blink in that sense, you know, just touring with the Aquabats of uh, just a, oh, for one <laughs> great ska band, gotta say. And I've seen yep. um, I've seen interviews where like the Aquabats are like, yeah, like we 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 knew he was way too good for us, and so we were just like mm-hmm. kind of waiting until uh, someone else picked him up, and um, and you know, it turned out to be Blink, and obviously they struck gold with that. Uh, but yeah, he just he just brings such a different dynamic to these songs that no other punk drummer. Uh, or rock drummer even was doing in the nineties and two thousands. Like it's, it's just mm-hmm. insane. It's, it's even more so I find on take off your pants and jacket than uh, enema because enema is like, certainly like, wow, they they have a new drummer, but take off your pants and jacket is like, okay, I'm playing these stadium songs now that are a lot bigger and, Normally, as a drummer, I don't need to do too much. Okay, I'm just going to do way more than I should. <laughs> and that's something I love about Travis. And and yeah, on, on Enema, on on all these songs, uh, he's got a lot of just really, really great percussion work. Uh, that tra- Travis is the one member, obviously, that just grows every time for each album. <laughs> just gets better and better. And he gets more tattoos. I think that's part of it. As he as he levels up as a drummer, his his skin slowly gets more and more engulfed in these tattoos. That's right. It's fun to look at pictures of him from 1999 uh, during this era. And he's got like a like we thought at the time he has a lot. And then you look at him now, and it's like he's basically completely covered all the way up to his head now. Yeah, uh, it's wild to see him. But yeah, he he's been he, he started drumming at the age of four. He started a band, the Aquabats, when he was nineteen. Um, so yeah, he's had a he's had an amazing career. Drummed with a lot of different bands and started a lot of random side projects uh, during Well Blink tours and during the hiatus. He's uh, he's a very very smart guy. Uh, despite I don't know if he even finished high school, um, but just very musically talented, obviously. And I think when he joined the band, Tom kind of gave him the go-ahead to do a lot of these extra fills because Tom, at the time, not the greatest guitar player of all nope. time, and he was just like, no, you got you to fill in a lot of these spots because I'm not doing it. Uh, and I think that that's what ended up happening was he kind of basically became like the the lead guitar player slash drummer on the band, and that's that's what happened. And this is the sound that you get, and it's incredible. And Dumpweed is a great first track introducing uh, Travis to the band. And just a great song all around. And it leads perfectly to track number two on the record, which is a Mark song titled Don't Leave Me. And this is a classic pop punk breakup song. Oh, a, a classic. I mean, this is like the most pop punk <laughs> lyrics ever for sure. Don't leave me all alone. Uh, like it's just it's it's a perfect kind of almost whiny song too that that Mark's doing mm-hmm. like, oh, please. Uh, uh, and and this album, at least the first like six tracks or so, all bleed into each other, which is really cool to see on a, on a punk album like this, uh, especially for guys who were not taking themselves seriously at this point uh, uh, for Dude Ranch or or Enema or or even later. Uh, so it's cool to see them, you know, actually putting some musicality into there and 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 really focusing on the sequencing because the sequencing for this album is super important. It's also yep. uh, a very rare time that we don't get a single until I think the fifth or sixth song, uh, which is pretty rare at this point in in recording, and even honestly now, like your first two songs, or maybe this, it's often the second song is your your big hit single. Uh, and mm-hmm. they don't do that here. They put Don't Leave Me to just follow up Dumpy. That sounds lovely. Um, yeah, Hop is begging his girlfriend, uh, please not to leave him. Uh, and uh, I... I, it's it's a nice fun pop punk song that that has I love the chorus um, and 
I uh, I also love when they play this live too because they play it even faster than they normally would and and this yeah. song is just one of those songs that like the faster you play it the more fun it gets. Yeah, it's a it's a great song. I love I love that they were writing songs about relationships. There's maybe a few too many in this album, but I like the difference between the Mark uh, love songs where it's more like he's pining for a girl, he's kind of sad about wanting a girl, and Tom is kind of just like f you to the girl. Like if she doesn't want to be with him, he'll just he'll just talk negatively about her. He'll trash talk her new boyfriend or whatever, yeah. which we're gonna talk a lot about in a few more songs. Uh, I love the difference in their style of love song writing. Um, but yeah, Mark Hoppus, he wrote this song in less than 10 minutes, took him about 10 minutes to write the whole song. And it's funny because he actually didn't have a girlfriend at the time. So who he's supposed to be singing about is a complete mystery. Um, but the, the line, you know, don't let your future be destroyed by my past. It's a great, you know, great little uh, line there that uh, Hoppus was really good at writing where Tom was more just like, you know, eat a dick jokes, basically uh, <laughs> at the girl. Uh, Hoppus was much better at, uh, at writing lyrics like that. But something that Tom is much more efficient at writing at is extraterrestrial life, which brings <laughs> us to track number three, Aliens Exist, a, a Tom song. And honestly, this is probably the song on the album that stands the best test of time because it's about <laughs> how aliens exist. And basically in the news right now, it's not being talked about nearly enough, but the U.S. government has basically confirmed that aliens are in fact real. So Tom has been right all along, Mike. I mean, in a way that they've confirmed that UFOs, uh, in, in terms of there are identified flying objects, uh, they don't know what they are, but they there is obviously it's aliens. It's it's clearly aliens, Neil. We got it. We did it. <laughs> um, and so that so obviously Tom is taking full advantage of this, and and so are uh, things like Amazon Music, who actually just put a billboard up in Toronto, uh, and it, I'm sure some other places that uh, says Tom Tom was right. Uh, listen to Blink, uh, which is pretty cool. I like that a lot, uh, and because Tom was obviously reposting that too. But uh, this is one of those songs that uh, I remember as a kid being like, "Who is this wine?" bastard like what is he doing this is maybe his most whiny song hey mom there's something in the back room, back room. hey mom there's something in the back room hope it's not the creatures from above you used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring we all know conspiracies are dumb and when he sings this live, uh, he like this. He definitely goes more into his Tom impersonation of himself, mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of just like is like a vicious circle sometimes, where it gets so much. Uh, it's it's a fun song for sure. I, I do like um, I do like the lyrics of it, uh, and this is one of the ones, uh, one of the many songs off this album where uh, me and my friends would change the lyrics because we thought we were funny. Mm. I got an injection. Fear from my erection. That's what we, we changed it to because, uh, uh, right. you know, we thought that was funny. So that's what I always hear. And um, and I know in the Mark, Tom and Travis show, they also change the lyrics a lot for some of these songs. Mm-hmm. My best friend just thinks I'm the guys. Uh, we'll, we'll, bleep, we'll bleep that out. <laughs> uh, instead of telling lies. They make a lot of gay jokes in this song live for some reason. Yeah, again, again, not, you know, it, it's 2000. It uh, it uh, mm-hmm. has not aged in that sense. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, um, uh, the the song itself is is definitely one of the fun ones. And also like nice to hear a song on a pop from a pop punk band that's just not about like I was in a relationship and now I'm not and my parents suck like this is you know this is a little different so I like that yeah this is arguably the only true punk song on the album Mike because it's talking about or Tom is as much as he's whining and 
talking about aliens existing. He's actually singing about how the government is lying yeah, to you. Yeah, I like that. Gotta die for your government. <laughs> yeah, both. Oh, little anti-flag reference there. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's the only song on the record that references government at all. And there's actually a very obscure reference at the end of the song where he says 12 majestic lies i didn't know what the heck that meant and i had to look it up Uh, and it's actually a very nerdy alien conspiracy reference uh at the time in the late 90s early 2000s people knew the term ufo area 51 you know et extraterrestrial you know those very buzzword pop culture references and that was about it 12 majestic lies is an organization uh that is codenamed of an alleged secret committee of scientists military leaders and government officials formed in 1947 uh by uh u.s president harry truman and they facilitate recovery and investigation of an alien of alien spacecrafts like that that's not a regular thing that pop punk bands were referencing in the 90s (laughs) that's crazy uh it's uh Mm -hmm. that's funny i actually didn't know that no that's a fun fact neil yeah, I had no idea, like, reading the, 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 the lyric book, of course, as a kid. It's like, what what the hell? Is this just is this just there because it rhymes? Or what does this mean? And that that is what it's talking about. And Tom has been reading about extraterrestrial life since the 90s. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he left. I think that's one of the reasons why he left the band during the hiatus was for his Angels and Airwaves side project, but also because he was very invested in uh, building spaceships, I think, and uh, looking into aliens. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's very much into the whole alien conspiracy thing. And like you said, uh, he was right about Apparently, so uh, we must listen to Tom and, of course, all of his uh, his dick jokes that he's made over the last 30 years. But this song leads very well. They've got that kind of ring out of Aliens Exist leading into Going Away to College, another Mark song. Uh, and, of course, it's him pining about a girl while he's uh, away at college. He was the only member of the band, I think, that actually went to college briefly and then dropped out to, uh, to of course, pursue Blink-182. But what do you think of the song Going Away to College, Mike? Do you relate to this one? I, I, I've always liked this song. This song, I mean, the, the lyrics itself are, are basically like every Mark song on this album, like get ready for this uh, to come up three more times uh, about <laughs> pining for a girl. But it's one of my favorite melodies. I always, uh, I always enjoy this one. I haven't been this scared in a long time. It's, it's uh, nice, nice harmonies on all the the mark ones that's that's another thing i like about the mark songs in this is that they they really push the the harmonies where the tom ones don't like you can't really harmonize aliens exist that well but uh (laughs) uh don't uh don't leave me um and uh obviously what's my age again and going away to college are all really easy harmony songs which are a lot of fun to play as well with friends and and sing with friends I always found the Mark songs are, are more fun to sing along to. I have gone away to college. I I understand. I, I relate to this somewhat for sure. I think uh I think everyone who's ever had any kind of long distance relationship is also um related to this uh this song. But uh, I just I just like the melody, Neil. It's a great melody. This song is very well written. I love the line in the chorus, bouquet of clumsy words, a simple melody. This world's an ugly place, but you're so beautiful to me. That's a nice line. Like, that's really cool. 
And we wouldn't have this song, Mike, uh, without the creation of the song Damn It from Blink-182's last album. Uh, that song was featured on the 90s movie Can't Hardly Wait, which is a pretty popular rom-com kind of movie. And Mark Hoppus, after watching Can't Hardly Wait on Valentine's Day, wrote the song Going Away to College based on that film. Uh, so Damn It was in this movie. This movie influenced him to write this song. Uh, I can't say that I really uh, relate to it at all. I've never experienced long distance relationships or anything. I didn't have a girlfriend or anything when I went to college. So, but that, that is like very much a thing. Like when you have your high school sweetheart, you, you graduate high school, you go to college. And classically, at least here in Canada, we call it the turkey dump. Uh, which is basically where you, you keep up the long distance relationship for the first six weeks or so of school yeah. from early September to the first or second weekend in October. And then you break it off there. And that's kind of like the uh, the classic thing that everybody does. Uh, yeah, that's I love that. The turkey dump, uh, Thanksgiving graduation, uh, Christmas graduation, you know, all, all, all these work. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, that that's funny. <laughs> but again, that song rings very well into the fifth song on the album, which is the first single on the fifth song, which is crazy. Only three singles on this album. What's my age again? Another Mark song, the arpeggio intro, very classic, very rare at the time for a pop punk band to do this. Uh, simple plan, do it all the time. It's basically a, a broken chord where the notes that compose the chord are played uh, in a rising and descending order. Um, iconic intro uh, for a, a very catchy Mark song. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took it's, I mean, it's one of the catchiest songs uh, of Blink's career, if not the one of the biggest songs of Blink's career, other than All the Small Things probably as being the probably the biggest Blink song. I actually didn't look at the Spotify numbers for Blink songs. That's a... Something All I, the Small Things is the biggest. All the Small Things is the biggest. Okay. And I'm, I, yeah. I would, I'd wager What's My Age Again is maybe second or third. Maybe Miss You is, is second. But um, uh, yeah, What's My Age Again, this was probably the first song that... I heard that I really got into Blink from, and I remember hearing this on the Mark, Tom, and Travis show record, and they play this quite fast uh, on, uh, uh, it's a much faster version on that record, playing it live, and uh, I just remember being like, here's a slow, pretty part, <laughs> when, and that's that's the very, has the very classic Blink trope of just Tom playing a couple notes on guitar softly while <laughs> Travis just is doing little drums, and then it, it, it leads up to the, the, to go back to the chorus. I swear, like, 80% of Blink songs from that era were all done th that same way. <laughs> uh, but it works. It, it's it's a great formula. And What's My Age Again has a lot of lyrics that I think I definitely related to and honestly still relate to in a lot of ways uh, where you're just kind of like basically acting like a kid and people are like, oh, well, like, it's like, what are you doing? You're out of college or you're, you're an adult now, like acting an adult. I'm like, no, I want to, I want to just do stupid stuff sometimes. Like sometimes yeah. you're just going to prank call somebody. And, uh, and what's my age again is another one. Um, actually, oh, was this one that we changed lyrics to? It probably was. Um, I mean, it's I'm, the one, the most, it's a misheard lyric. Yes, that's for sure. With, yeah. uh, I walk alone or I wore cologne. It's I wore cologne. That's what it is. <laughs> I know, but it's more fun to say I walked alone. I know. Oh, dude, when I first heard this song in high school, I was saying I walk alone. I used to think that's what it was. But then after a while, it's like, wait, that doesn't make 
any sense. I walk alone to get the feeling right. And then you look up the lyrics and it's, I wore cologne to get the feeling right. Uh, but yeah, it is one of those misheard lyrics for sure. And I, I love this one. It references all the things you mentioned, the anti-growing up theme, uh, very big in this genre of music. The original title of this song was supposed to be Peter Pan Complex, uh, but their producer thought that's too obscure of a reference. So they had to change it to just what's my age again. And it was written by Hoppus, who he was he was sitting on the floor playing guitar and he was actually attempting to play J.A.R. by Green Day. Mm. Um, and he ended up playing this different riff, which he turned into a, a new song, uh, which was What's My Age Again. And uh, like most things, it was just supposed to be a joke song. But basically all the songs Blink-182 write are starting off as uh, joke songs. Yeah. <laughs> and it became their, I think it is their second highest stream uh, song of all time behind What's My Age Again. And I think I Miss You is the other one. But musically, this is definitely, I think, the most impressive song on the album, which not a high bar to achieve, but it, it has some it has some tempo changes. It has the arpeggio intro. The chorus itself is not all that hard, but they do have some harmonies in there briefly. Um, so yeah, all, all in all, this song from start to finish is a banger and it's arguably their best music video of all time too. Their say. most iconic yep. music video where they're running through LA naked <laughs> and they're uh, running through very famous uh, areas of the city. Uh, you've got the nurse in there briefly. They run through a talk show. It's a very good music video. It's it's a great music video. And this is another great example of like 2000s kind of culture in that sense too. <laughs> uh, but, but this one works really well. And honestly, uh, in my opinion, has held up really well too. Um, I, I think it's, it's great how, you know, everyone's like looking at them. There's a, there's a, a point where like these, uh, this couple's having a picnic and like Tom like slaps like oh, yeah. the, the guy and the girl's yeah. like looking at him like, Ooh, damn. Uh, they, they all stop in the middle of the street to like say hi to the nurse. There's a, mm-hmm. a little girl with their magnifying glass, magnifying glass. <laughs> trying to look at their, uh, their private parts, which is, which is really awesome. Like it, uh, this is a great example of just like not taking yourself too seriously and, and, Mm-hmm. It works really well with the song uh, because like a music video for this song, where, which is really just about having fun as an adult and just doing silly things like something like this is perfect. And and I think they nailed it. And it really it really gives a nice semblance of the band and like how the band was so um, so much like a fraternity at the time, too. Right. So yes. that that was nice to see. Yeah, their first their first three albums they 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 had they had a hard time keeping their clothes on in the first couple albums. There they they played shows naked a couple of times. They recorded naked a few times. They they would do a lot of naked practical jokes on each other a lot. That was just like their thing yeah. for some reason. And this this did encapsulate that perfectly. Um, it's all blurred out, of course, so it, it's safe for TV. But I, <laughs> I love this music video. It's so good. Going on to the next song on the album here. It, Dysentery Gary. It's another Tom song. And this song is, I don't have a lot to say about it. It's definitely the most vulgar song on the album. It's about when a girl chooses another guy over Tom. So it's, a uh, you know, he's jealous of another guy. And he deals with this rejection by making fun of this new man, nicknaming him Dysentery Gary. And that's, that's what the whole song is about. It's just him trash talking his ex's new boyfriend. I, I love that, you know. <laughs> no, it's, um, it, it's, it's a good song. It's probably maybe the fastest song on this album. Uh, nope, we got party song coming up. In oh a yeah, few, party uh, song. Yeah, that is the fastest, true. but it's close. This one's close to that. It's close. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fast lyrics coming at you really fast. I honestly didn't know what he was saying, like almost ever. And even today, I kind of have to like listen uh, a little closer to hear 
what the hell he's saying. Uh, of course, he says he's a player, diary, a giver, uh, referencing the dysentery. Uh, so yeah. it's 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 actually supposed to be pronounced and written like dysentery, but um, he does it dysentery because that's mm-hmm. how a lot of uh, people uh, end up pronouncing that and to, to rhyme it with Gary, obviously. So uh, kind of a nice little double entendre almost there. And um, and yeah, uh, dysen- dysentery is when you just uh, just have a lot of had a lot of poops you know you can't yep. stop yourself so uh, and end up dying so a lot of a lot of like uh i mean it's a very old thing where like uh kings and queens would end up uh, dying from dysentery on the battlefield and stuff uh right. so you'll hear about that a lot from like medieval times uh so uh <laughs> it works it works okay with this uh, i i mean this is certainly the only punk song ever to uh to have uh the word dysentery in it so uh <laughs> Big big shout out there, I guess, to Tom for another strange lyrics uh, lyrical um, uh, creation. Yeah, it's a, it's a good creation. That's one word for it. This is one of those songs <laughs> where like you put the CD on with your parents in the car, and you have to kind of awkwardly sit there and be like, yeah. not not all of their songs. I like this. I are I promise. And it's so funny because that song leads into one of their darker songs that they've written, and definitely the darkest song on the album, which is Adam's song. The second single, this is a Mark song. It's a, it's a song that Mark wrote when he was in the state of depression while being on tour and having basically no one to go home to. Uh, Travis and Tom always had girlfriends and eventually wives and whatnot to go to go home to. So he was writing about feeling blue about that. And it was also influenced by a suicide note from a kid that a kid wrote to his parents that Hoppus received in a letter uh, in an email. And that's what uh, brought this song to light. And it's showed in the music video. It's uh, it's a very sad music video. They show like clips from like, it's all black and white and it goes into Polaroid pictures and it's all shots from the past. I really liked it when they played the song live and they showed clips of them playing live from the past. I thought that that yeah. was really cool. This is a, one of, again, one of the most iconic Blink songs of all time. And it's, it's the, the saddest song they'd ever written up to this point too. It's true, and then they reuse the same riff for um, "Stay Together for the Kids." So, I mean, it all works out. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. It's a, know, little, it's, bit it's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit different, but it, it references a whole bunch of uh, of things that they they had done in their past. Like I traced the chord back to the wall, and no wonder it was never plugged in at all. Which is inspired was inspired by Tom DeLonge while he was playing in his uh, his garage, and his amp was in a puddle. And if the uh, if the chord had been plugged in, he probably would have died. I traced the chord back to the Damn, I actually didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I looked up a lot of lyrics for this song and re- research for this episode, so I needed to, That's good. to come with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I this is this has always been one of my favorite songs and, and a classic. I, I do love the music video. I love the editing of it and all the all the pictures of them playing, all the Polaroids. Uh, there's pictures of them when they were kids as well, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's it, it it's really touching. Honestly, I I, I like watching the, the music video alongside the um, listening to the. The album, of course, or the the song, of course, and I think Tom is wearing a rancid shirt, if I remember correctly, in uh, yeah, in the so. music video, which is which is awesome. Always, yeah, funny to see uh, Travis with not too many tattoos on him, too. <laughs> I think that one he has kind of like the dreads going as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is also weird to see Travis with hair. Uh, uh, it's, I mean, I'm just so used to seeing shaved Travis, like for the last 20 years. So it's, it can be kind of strange when you see him with hair, but um, uh, yeah, Adam's song is, 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 it's a, 
it's good lyrics. Like it's, I've always identified with it in some ways as well. Like it's, it's nice to hear some like darker songs and like some songs about, uh, I mean, like the pains of growing up and the pains of of being older and being an adult and just, uh, uh, instead of just hearing about Mark pining for a girl all the time. So it's nice to have that, (laughs) that mix. And that's one thing about Enema that I do like that there is quite a bit of mix for the lyrics. We're on, yeah, things like Dude Ranch and, and Cheshire Cat, like really all they were writing about was just kind of like, Silly things in high school, really. Yeah, and in some cases, having sex with dogs, which is interesting, an interesting, <laughs> interesting angle, a uh, very interesting angle for them to uh, to try yes. out. But it, it seemed to have worked for them. This song is also one of the weirdest, like the the apple juice line. I remember everyone being like, "What the heck? This song is the weirdest advertisement for apple juice." But that that even had a, a sad reference to it as well, where he's mm-hmm. referencing when his parents were going through divorce, and in an interview, he's quoted to say, uh, "They were arguing in their room behind a closed door, and I was in the hallway listening." Uh, frightened listening to their muffled voices and uh, suddenly the noise stopped their door opened he ran and he spilled his apple juice and that's that's what that's referencing to that's a reference to his parents divorce which is which is really sad like it's it's got a whole bunch of like they they write these lyrics that like sound funny but then it's like you look into it and it's like oh no this actually has a very sad uh, message to it so yeah yeah I I like that I love this song I, I never skip it I love hearing it live I like hearing different versions of it that they've done over the years this was one of the songs that worked well with Matt Skiba I guess because he doesn't really actually sing all that much in it he just does the little harmony there in yeah. uh, in the chorus but I love what you said there about uh, Travis's dreads I love all the different hairstyles we've had over the years we've had the dreadlock Travis we've had the short kind of hair where his he had like the sideburns going we had the mohawk travis and now we've had shaved travis for the last uh several decades so i guess that's where we're going to be for the rest of time <laughs> that's where we'll stick around for but uh yeah you know, let's uh, move on to probably the biggest song of blink's career yep this song leads very well into their biggest song all the small things this is the uh third and final single on the record it is a tom song and it's the last song that they had written for the album uh delong knew that the album needed one more track to push the album over the edge of success and they wrote this song very quickly i think they wrote it in probably less time than it took to uh for mark to write uh, don't leave me uh the original track of this one mike get this the original we could have been listening to baby cakes butter muffin that was the track name yeah. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I, I I just imagine uh so Scott Lit, who's the producer. Um uh, I just imagine or sorry, Jerry Finn. I just Jer- I just imagine yeah. Jerry Finn just being like, What are you guys do just name it like a normal name. Just name it what the chorus is, <laughs> you assholes. <laughs> First line in the in the song, all the small so things, funny. and uh, it it was written from the beginning of being a radio hit, and it definitely was. The song is still the band's most successful single, and it's the only one of their song to break into the top forty. And uh, I do have to praise this song, like it's uh, it's obviously sprung them into the mainstream success that they've had in the last twenty four years. At this point, uh, I've listened to this song probably thousands of times. Musically, this song is probably the least interesting on the entire. Oh, album. it's not fun to play. For sure. It's no. it's the same chords over and over again. It's, uh, I mean, uh, the chorus is na, 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 na. Like, <laughs> so there's not a whole <laughs> lot going on. Of course, uh, me being when I was 10 years old uh, with my friends making up more lyrics uh, as, as we did, my favorite one that I still sing to this day is watching, 
Waiting. Master. I'm baiting. <laughs> baiting. <laughs> <laughs> great, great lyric that, that we created too, to to really amp up the uh the the silliness. We need it to be more silly, but uh that's just one thing. Like I can't think of any other <laughs> band or album uh where we would just make up lyrics for it. And uh I think that was definitely influenced by hearing the Mark Tom Travis show where they also would change mm-hmm. the lyrics a lot. I love that. I think bands should do like that way more where they just have funny things in the lyrics, make mentions to where they are. Like I I don't know. I, I I always find that bands go a little too hard live with just like just playing the track exactly how you hear it on Spotify and uh and that's it, right? Like I love when bands do funny things with their songs. Like when we saw Blink, they played um uh Happy Holidays You Bastard twice in a row and like once yeah. you just turned the lights off and like played it played it without yeah. looking. Uh like I so like stuff like that is great. Like bands should do that all the time and um and I'm sure with something like all the small things which they have probably played thousands of times at this point they'd want to do you know something fun definitely i love when uh, the party song when it, the lights came back on and then tom's like we are exactly like the beatles <laughs> yeah. I love that. that is so funny but they did say that in interviews back in this uh back i think it's in the mark tom and travis live interview uh, on that cd but they the, tom has said he hates seeing bands and they never talk to the audience or they say very little they just thank you for coming basically he hates that he likes it when bands talk to you and they even admitted like the the music that they play is basically like what you have to kind of sit through to get to the next set of jokes yeah. that they tell <laughs> like it, it's really what it is and also you're playing punk songs so the songs aren't all that long so you do have to stretch out that 90 minute set somehow otherwise you're just going to end up playing 90 songs basically <laughs> yeah. so it, it's so true they 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 were a band with so much more personality than, than other bands just because they had these jokes and these uh, different lyrics that they tied into their songs. Their songs are perfect for basically Mad Libs, where you can you can take out words and add funnier words into it, and it totally works. And this is definitely one of those tunes. Uh, a lot of the words in this song don't make any sense. No. It, it really isn't about anything. It's just about a love song, and the only th- thing you like about your life is basically the person that you come home to every night. And then you've got na 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 nas in there, which What's is an ode to the Ramones, there? which is... There's no meaning. <laughs> what is the meaning behind this? Tom has said he literally just couldn't think of any words, so that's... That's why those are there. Um, but again, this is another one of those very popular music videos where the band basically just ripped off and spoofed uh, a lot of classic uh, big songs at the time, including the Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera. And it's a very funny music video. They definitely had a good time performing that one for the video and started a lot of Blink memes that you see to this day. Like at every Blink show, you will see an I'm Pregnant Travis uh, poster. And actually, the whichever Kardashian he's married to now, I don't remember, um, had that sign at the show that he played at recently, which was them announcing their pregnancy. Oh my God, I actually didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that this music video brought that moment 20, 23 years later. That's crazy. Yeah, it is funny how like Travis has become like a pop culture icon. Like now it's just like, what he, the hell? This is so he weird. Is, he is more popular now for marrying a Kardashian than he is for being the Blink-182 drummer. I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. But yeah, very popular Blink song to listen to and a very popular Blink song to play. Just not all that exciting. Not all that exciting, but it's uh, it's been pretty cool to see it kind of stay relevant in in pop culture uh there's been there's a great great uh british ad for basically fostering kids and it was uh it used the song but it used the cover uh by the postmodern jukebox that i I'm, i think you have definitely heard neil the with oh, the yeah. puddles pity party the the clown yes. singing it just a, <laughs> a great version of that song and they use it in this foster um care uh ad which is a really touching ad about like 
you know, these uh, these parents take in this kid who's uh, she's like maybe 12 years old or something and she's got a skateboard and they're trying to connect with her. And like you hear all the small things playing in the background uh, in, with that version. And then it like it gets to the um, the seating so uh, part <laughs> where he's singing it and, and the dad like is uh, is uh, the foster dad is like trying to skateboard himself and, and the girl's kind of <laughs> laughing like, oh, like what board do you have? And You want to come in? Cool. You're as good as yours, I don't think. Oh, well, I just have a few stickers, that's all. Yeah, get some stickers for it. And it's a really touching ad, and I love it. It's such a good song for that. That uh, That's perfect. And even in uh, for the Colorado Avalanche, the hockey team, uh, last or two years ago, they uh, they started singing that song just in the arena all the time because... They would play that song just, you know, at stadium and uh, then the face off happens and the music stops and you can't not stop singing along to it, especially when it's like in the middle of the verse. It'll be like, uh, uh, it's like truth, care, truth. And then, you know, it stops, but then everyone just like, I'll take one yeah. lift and, and, and it keeps going and they would, they would sing the entire song for Jeez. like three minutes in the arena. And so then they made that a thing. Uh, and they kept doing it and that they made it a big part of their playoffs, um, playoff songs as well. And they ended up winning. And I think they had shirts that referenced the lyrics and everything, too. So really cool. I um, I love that. And like you'd hear people like yell really loudly, like, work sucks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> of course. Maybe a new horse. I've, I've won so much money tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Did you win some today, Kiefer? Oh, man. I mean, all you got to do is take the over. You can literally put your mortgage on the over and, and get a new house the next day. We've been down there drinking with the Byrams. The, o- the over and first goal of the game, Kiefer. I know. I know. It's. I mean, and at the age of 10, we definitely didn't understand that line until like we're singing about how much work sucks years before we even needed to have a job. And now it's like, yeah, it really does suck. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how it's it's stayed in the pop culture. And I, I love to see it. And uh, then we move on to the next song on the album, the party song, as you said, Neil, the fastest song on the album. This is the fastest song on the album. It is a Mark song, and this is one of my favorite songs on the album, honestly. It's so cool to listen to. Uh, the band has admitted that it is definitely the hardest song, off one of the hardest songs I think they ever wrote to play live just because how fast it is. They basically gave Mark no opportunity to breathe. So to, to play the song live, uh, Tom or Matt, uh, depending on who was on guitar, needed to basically fill in the last line of every verse so that Mark yeah. could catch his breath before the next one. But it's basically a song about uh, Mark going to a frat party uh, years after being too old to go to a frat party and basically just looking around and finally being aware that all it is is just a bunch of girls trying way too hard to get attention acting like dimwits and and basically I uh, I guess items to uh, acquire for guys and just a very cringy moment in his life and he wrote a song about it and it's such a good uh, song and is still relevant today and then I saw her standing there with green eyes and long blonde hair she wasn't wearing underwear at least I prayed that she might be Yeah, that one I'm, I I definitely actually relate to because yeah, it's very much like Mark going to a party, being like, I'm too old for this. Yeah, <laughs> and and I I definitely had those moments. I haven't had those in a while, but I remember going to like a frat party when I was uh, maybe like 25 or 26, and even then, uh, I was just was like, yeah, this is you're uh, too old. I'm too old. Yeah, I should not be here. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it has the na 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 nas in this one as well. But uh, it just it just works so well. This is this is such a good song. It's over before you know it. It's only like a minute long. And funny story about this song. This brings me back to like grade ten or eleven when uh, I had we we had the, you remember I, you probably remember this guy from high yeah. school. Remember the metalhead Sean. Yep, I, I know where you're going with the story, so I'm excited. <laughs> this was the only song, I think the only Blink song that he actually liked. I remember him talking about it in uh, in math class because I was listening to Blink. I probably had a Blink t-shirt on, and this was the only song that he knew. Didn't like that guy at the time. No idea where he is now. Um, but he's probably still <laughs> listening to the party song, going to frat parties, because he completely missed the message. <laughs> yeah, didn't wouldn't he be like, oh, Neil's, it's Neil's party. Like, wasn't that like a thing that he would say? Uh, I just like remember him being like, yeah, it's like the party song, Neil's party. Maybe. I mean, Neil's Party is an Ill Scarlet reference. There's a, there's a song where they say, hey, everybody, we're going to Neil's, Neil's Party. party. I, f- yeah. I forget the, what song that is, but probably. Uh, that guy was an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that's why whenever I think of that, whenever I hear this song, though, I think of that, this metalhead from uh, yeah, from high school who, who said he would shave his beard if Guns N' Roses ever came out with a new record. And I was so mad that when Chinese Democracy came out, he did not shave his beard. <laughs> yeah, huge miss. I mean, this guy's an idiot, obviously, and some might yeah. even call him a mutt, Neil. Ooh, good, good transition to the uh, the last quarter of the album here, starting with "Mutt," a Tom song, and this song is really interesting. It's about a, a rich guy and a rich girl in a relationship, and they're just completely passive. They don't care about each other at all. All they want to do is just have sex with each other. They're spoiled, rich. They can do whatever they want, and uh, and Tom just finds this sickening because they have no idea what the real world is like. And this song is uh, included in uh, the first American Pie movie. And Blink-182 and American Pie go together like peanut butter and jelly in the, uh, in the 90s. Yes, they do. And some 41, too. That, that, that whole little circle of pop punk was definitely the American Pie uh, soundtrack yeah. forever. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this song, it's I, I remember the first time I heard it when I got the CD. I didn't know it because it wasn't like in many things other than American Pie. Like there's no music video for it. It wasn't played on the radio. So it was kind of like an, oh, yeah, this song kind of moment. Uh, I actually really like the um, the bass line and the bridge of this song. I don't know how to explain it exactly. There's nothing overly special about it. It's just really catchy. And that's the only thing about the song that really stands out to me is that bass line and the bridge. Yeah, yeah, it's that's, that's it. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to the 11th song on the album, it's Wendy Clear. This is another song that came out of nowhere. I have no idea what this song, I don't even know what this song is about. It's a, it's another Mark song. Uh, feels the most like a take off your pants and jacket song on the album, I would say. Um, I just always forget about this song for some reason. Uh, it has a keyboard in it, which is neat. And the lyrics are, are just fine. The song is very much like, it's just fine to me. Yeah, it's funny, like, like looking at this now or, like, thinking about this now, but I would often skip after the, the last three songs after Party Song uh, hmm. when I was a kid. i just go straight to Dumpweed again because, I mean, who doesn't want to hear Dumpweed again? Um, I was never <laughs> a huge fan of Mutt, Wendy Clear, and Anthem. Uh, they hmm. were just – they were they were fine songs, but they didn't – they didn't – none of them had the hook that all the other songs before had. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Wendy Clear, especially, I remember listening to it. It was just – it was just like fine. I, I think I probably skipped this song too uh, back in the day. I did like Anthem, the last song uh, on on the on the record. But yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Where after the party song would have been a good place to end. Also, I kind of felt like by Wendy Clear, uh, we had kind of tapped out on the number of songs about relationships I could take. <laughs> yes. Um, basically, all of them except Adam's song, I think, is about a girl and aliens exist. So two of the nine songs or 11 songs at this point were about girls. 
uh, and I needed to I needed them to sing about more aliens or something. But we did get the last song on the record, Anthem, which is a really a really good payoff if you listen to Anthem and then Anthem Part Two, which mm-hmm. is the first song on their next record. But this is a Tom song, last song on the album, and it's just about a song being trapped in the suburbs, wishing your 21st birthday would just come along already, so you can finally have the freedom to drink beer, which is all they, these guys I guess wanted to do when they were 20. It's, it's interesting because it kind of ends off on this, not a sour note, but a bit of a melancholy note with that song, with Anthem, where a lot of these, you know, pop punk bands and, and albums at this time were ending off just with another like party song. Like that was, that was the last song you move on you go, but you skip right back to the first song, which is also a party song um, or about girls or something. So it, it was cool to end with Anthem. I remember listening to this for this for, for the first time, like as a kid being like, oh, Okay, I'm I'm ready for dumpweed again. <laughs> <laughs> ready to start it all over again. Yeah, it's it's got a funny story to it though. It's about uh, a house party that Tom organized in high school at a friend's house while their parents were away, and the parents were only out until midnight, which is a very risky move to to plan yeah. a party and have it needing to end basically at eleven so that you could clean up and have everybody out in time. Uh, but it was basically an excuse for Blink One Eighty Two to play a show. And obviously the cops found out or the cops were called. Parents found out the whole thing was a complete mess. And Tom reminisces about how funny the whole thing was. Um, he was just a complete jackass in high school, obviously. <laughs> I love that story. I, you can picture yourself being there and just the horror of being that kid uh, whose parents' house it was. A very a very time capsule song anthem. I love that Tom uh, did this. Uh, like, it wasn't his uh, part. Uh, it, was, it wasn't his house. Oh, no. It was some no, no. other kid's house that he like, like <laughs> convinced. He's like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, dead. You you do it. It'll be totally fine. He was Tom. Tom was kicked out of high school or kicked out of a high school for drinking. Yeah. Uh, he went into another high school. I'm not sure that he ever actually graduated. So he was definitely a bit of a uh, bit of an outcast in high school, let's say. Uh, but uh, it worked out for him. He's uh, he's now exploring space and aliens and everything. <laughs> and that's it, Mike. That's all 12 tracks here on Blink 182's Enema of the State. We did get a few bonus tracks that were released with various uh, releases of the album, including the Mark Tom and Travis show, and then different. Areas of the world got Blink-182 bonus tracks, including Man Overboard, which came out in September of 2000, and Family Reunion, which was a promotional single recorded at the behest of Fat Mike from NoFX. Yeah, was that one, because I, I, in my mind, I was never really sure where Family Reunion fit in. I, I wasn't sure what album it was on. Of course, I listened to it on the Mark Tom and Travis show because that was a live staple that they would play. Right. They had never recorded it before. And it's uh, obviously based on the George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words uh, skit. And I'm not going to say the words because that's the whole reason this <laughs> show... It'd just be does... one long bleep. Yeah, it'd just be... <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, for a kid, this was like the pinnacle of like a stupid silly punk song so i loved mm-hmm. it of course uh also the it, it would be nice if i could, if i could get a blowjob which was also on um yeah. uh <laughs> tom and travis show but made overboard arguably like their best song in my opinion i i know. love that song it's a, actually quite a technical song it's got really good lyrics uh it's got like i don't honestly fantastic lyrics uh, very obviously about Scott Rayner, which they have never admitted, but it is about him for sure. It's about uh, a friend who is, you know, has has uh, alcoholism and has substance abuse problems and uh, how to talk to him about it. And 
um, you know, they say a couple nice things about him too. And they're just like, sorry, see you around. Like we, we're, we're a band now. We're like, we're professionals. We can't kind of have this, this stuff going on anymore. Um, and it's a sad and bittersweet song really, uh, that has a great melody, great bass line, uh, great harmonies and great drumming. Obviously it's, I remember hearing it on the Mark Tom and Travis show be like, whoa, this is like a real song. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great song. I love that bass intro is really good up there with uh, Carousel, which is another mm-hmm. great bass line uh, off of uh, that's off of Cheshire Cat. Um, yeah, th- this song is really sad. Like when you listen to it, it sounds like, all right, it's a party song. You know, it's a, maybe a jump around and mosh song. But there's some lyrics in there, man, that are that are honestly really as dark as something like an Adam song. Like there's yep. one verse in there. This is this is a Mark and Tom song also, which we didn't have a lot of those where they both kind of split the song. Um, yeah. they, they do that a lot more later in uh, Off Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and they're self-titled. Uh, but in this one, uh, Tom does a bit more of the chorus and Mark does the the verses. But there's the verse, I remember shots without a chaser, after mind and thoughts, now you're a stranger, cover up the scars, put on your game face, left you in the bar to try and save face. Like, it's just really sad. Like, they basically left uh, Scott Rayner, not left him, but basically like kind of cast him out and was kind of like a we're done with you now you need to fix your life um all the best kind of thing and this is that song uh very sad um all in all but yeah a great track i love it when they play this one live and a good music video too because i think if i remember correctly haven't seen it in a long time but it's basically them and the uh god i don't know the politically correct version of it now but the uh the short people running around basically doing all the things that blink 182 were doing in their music videos and all the band are basically having these nightmares that they're that they're i think the guys were from jackass actually if i remember correctly um i think this was like a jackass crossover (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) kind of music video but very very well done and uh very funny again great blink 182 music video i miss their old style of music videos hopefully we'll get some funny ones uh with the new album if it comes out this i think october is when they said it's supposed to be coming out soon but it feels like <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll i don't know we'll have to wait and see for sure it's been almost a year since uh, edging came out but i'm at i'm anticipating the new album i hope it's going to be okay but for now we have uh nine classic uh, blink 182 well nine mostly classic records from blink 182 but mike i gotta ask you Enema of the State, only three singles on the entire thing. Very light for uh, an album of this uh, pedigree. If you could pick a fourth single slash music video on this record, which would you pick? It's got to be Dumpweed. I was honestly mm. shocked when I found out that Dumpweed was not a single. Uh, I always figured it was. It's it's an uh, extremely popular song by them. It's obviously a concert staple. I'd say almost everyone knows Dumpweed uh, just because it was the first song. And it, it's strange to not have your first song be a single. Not sure what happened there, mm. but um, because it is obviously super catchy too. Uh, obviously, the lyrics are much cringier uh, today. But at the time, I, it's honestly, it's just another misogynistic pop bug song like yeah <laughs> it's like why not so um yeah i was so i was always surprised that or i am surprised that it was not a single so that would be my pick probably that's a good pick i would probably dump dumpweed would probably be my second pick i would think or aliens exist probably tied for number two but i would love a party song music video mm. would have been would have been an interesting choice because not a lot of music videos are that short usually when punk bands have a song that short they don't make a music video based on it uh, not easy to do with MTV, which is probably why they couldn't do it. They, you need yeah. those music videos to be a couple minutes at most. Um, but it would have been a really cool video to have like the band playing at a house party or something. And you yeah. could have definitely tied in like probably a, a celebrity at the time that was well known for being that kind of girl at these parties, like a Paris Hilton or a Lindsay Lohan, or actually she might've been a little bit too young at that point, but like one of those types of people. 
Um, wouldn't have aged the music video all that well, but I think that they no. could have made a very funny music video based on that song. And they could have maybe even had like a little bit of a like a skit based around it too, like what they did in the um the first date music video, which is on their next record. Uh, they made that one almost a little bit more like a like an SNL skit tied with a um tied to the music video. They could have done yeah. that, which would have been awesome. But if you had to pick a song off of Enema of the State, Mike, we've got twelve tracks here. If you could remove one song from the album, which one would it be? Hmm. I mean. I, I think it's any of those last three songs, my Wendy Clear or Anthem. I'd maybe remove Anthem, uh, just because I, I was never a huge fan of it. It just it's a bit strange to me. Like it's a good song, but I'm not sure how well it. It honestly fits better on the next album. So uh, <laughs> just just make that the first song, and then Anthem Part Two. There you go. Yeah, I think it would be funny if they didn't end it with Anthem Part 1 and then they just start the next album with Anthem Part 2, but there's never yeah. a Part 1. Yeah. That would have been awesome. But I, I like your idea. That actually would have been a good way to start. Take off your pants and jacket with uh, Anthem Part 1 and then end it with Part 2. That would have mm-hmm. been a cool way to to bookend it. But uh, yeah, I, I can agree. Any of the last three songs are probably okay to to remove. For me, it would have been, like I said earlier, Wendy Clear. I feel like it yeah. works if you put that one on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Um, it's not a song that I really listen to all that often. Um, it sounds like a take off your pants song. Um, so that would be my choice. And if I had to replace it with a song from another album, I actually Ooh. really like Apple Shampoo, which is a song off of um, Dude Ranch. Yep. I think that, that I think I would have liked if they had honestly maybe done that song re-recorded or something um, or just that song exactly put put up to uh, put up on Enema of the State. I really like that one. It's good. It wasn't a single or anything. It's just a, a fun song. But how about you? Is there a song from another one of Blink's albums that you'd like to see on uh, on Enema? Apple Shampoo is a good pick, yeah, because Dude Ranch, like, it's a good album, but it's not well produced, for no. sure. And, um, I mean, that's where we we did talk about him uh, on the Sum 41 All Killer No Filler episode, Jerry Finn, who is the producer of this uh, of this album and uh, who passed away uh, in 2008 when he was very young, really sad, because uh, he was a fantastic producer. And he's a huge reason. Uh, him and Travis Barker are honestly the reasons why Blink got big. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because uh, the the sound was so much bigger uh, than Dude Ranch. Dude Ranch sounds like three people playing their instruments. Yep. Uh, right. Where <laughs> where where Enema does not. Enema sounds like a big band uh, mm-hmm. coming in and 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 filling up every sonic space. Uh, and that's what Jerry Finn did really really well. And of course he did that uh, amazingly with Some Forty One with Alkaline Trio, Rancid, uh, MXPX, all the the kind of uh, the bands. bands, the yeah. bands, uh, Green Day, of course, as well. He he worked with Rob Cavello on on them. Uh, all the bands of the late '90s, early 2000s, he had a hand in. So yeah, I just wanted to give a big, huge shout out to to uh, Jerry Finn, um, amazing producer and amazing guy. But um, uh, in terms of a song to add from another album, that was a tough one. I was thinking. So obviously, Man Overboard is like what you would think because mm-hmm. it was written around the same time and it, it kind of. Uh, I mean, it's talking about Scott Rayner, who's not there anymore. But then I was thinking, like, you know what? Man Overboard's actually too good for this album. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it doesn't really work as well. It, it's honestly the way Anthem is, right? Where Anthem doesn't, like, fit as well as some of the other songs on it. Um, I think Man Overboard uh, would would stand out a bit too much. You already have something like Adam's Song on the album, which is a bit more of like the heavier song, Man Overboard being that similar way. Obviously the the the, the song itself and the music itself is is upbeat, but um I feel like it actually wouldn't fit, so I'm glad it just was on its own. So I would actually say Shut Up from uh Take Off Your Pants mm-hmm. and Jacket would be my pick 
uh, for this because I really like that song and um, it's it, it it's a good Mark song and it works really well with the same kind of lyrics and the same kind of vibe we had on Enema. I love uh, yeah that that's a good choice. I, I like your I like your thought there with a man overboard maybe being too good for Enema of the State. That's really <laughs> yeah. funny. It would have been a good one though for like maybe Man Overboard being like the second last song on the album where it's like all right we're gonna bring it down a little bit and then we're gonna bring yeah. it back up again with with an anthem like song. Uh, Shut up. I remember I have a very funny memory of the song Shut Up because Ooh. I bought Take Off Your Pants uh, from HMV uh here in uh in, in in canada that's what we had to buy cds from i think it was like five bucks or something and uh me and my mom were, were driving home from the mall and i put it in in our car and we were listening to the album and uh shut up came on and like the first line in that song is just shut the f up and uh my mom just started laughing like uncontrollably laughing at that for some reason she just loved that song that one moment i remember that very very vividly because that was the age when I was getting into Blink and I was like trying to convince my parents that this was like, you know, one of those, like, they're a good <laughs> band. And then this is their, this is their touchstone with it is just so the first line being shut the F up. So that's a, that's a great choice. I, I love that song off of, off of takeoff. Um, Mike, we had a, we had a very long era there where Tom DeLonge was not in the band. Uh, it was actually Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio, another Jerry Finn, uh, Finn band. Big Alkaline Trio and Blink-182 were friends, so it made a lot yeah. of sense. But if you could hear uh, one song on this album uh, to be recorded by Skiba, uh, by Matt Skiba, which one would you pick? That's a, also a great question. Uh, great questions today. Uh, Don't Leave Me is the first thing I, I thought of when I saw <laughs> that you were going to ask me this question. And I listened to the... Uh, uh, I listened to the record, obviously, many times uh, before we came on to talk about this. I could see Skiba singing Don't Leave Me, and I can also see him doing the harmonies. Uh, it, it, I feel like it would be, it would have to be slowed down just a bit, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe like like dro- in like Drop D or something, uh, because that's <laughs> what Skiba usually ends up singing in yeah. uh, for those songs. But uh, yeah, like the verses already have a bit of that Alkaline Trio style, uh, so I think that would definitely be the closest probably maybe even adam's song um it could kind of work but uh again he would need to be doing it with mark i feel yeah it's funny because my, my choice for this one was party song because the first okay. time i saw party song live was during that 2019 uh 20th anniversary tour and it was like i said mark was singing the first three quarters of the line and then uh, skiba was filling in for the last little bit and it worked really well because when they started playing it i was wondering how they were going to do it because it's right. basically impossible for one singer to do it live um, and it worked really well. Um, so I guess I guess that would be my choice. It's funny that we picked three uh, Mark songs for Skiba to re-record with the band <laughs> and none of the Tom songs. Like it, it was really weird seeing Skiba sing Aliens Exist and all the yeah. small things and just these songs that you just couldn't do. I, I really love California and Nine. I think they're really good albums, honestly. There's some some misses on each one, but a lot of like 2016's California, I love that album. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't. They don't consider it a true Blink album, but those people can, can suck it. It's a really good album. Um, and to switch it around a little bit, if you could pick one song that Skiba did off of California or Nine to be done by Tom, uh, which song would you pick? San Diego is the obvious choice. Uh, yep. So I'll, 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 you're probably going to say that. So I'll, I was. <laughs> I'll, I'll say, I'll say the first time um, hmm. is probably that's the first song off of uh, uh, the record Nine. Nine. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the the first time I could see. Uh, Tom singing it because it's got some a bit of funny lyrics as well in it and and it would work with it with his vocal range but San Diego I mean Tom is from San Diego huge San Diego Padres fan like 
He got it. It's weird when Skiba is singing San Diego. Skiba is a Chicago guy for like, like, like full out Chicago guy. Like there are songs on Blink albums, uh, on the Skiba Blink albums where he does talk about Chicago, which is really funny to me. I'm like, Blink is not a Chicago band at all, but <laughs> it, it works. Yeah, I love, yeah, San Diego would be my choice too. That song I think is about Tom. I didn't, I, I honestly I never know. thought it being about being from San Diego. I always thought it was about Tom. And even the music video is just a bunch of clips of Tom playing in blank like that's all that music video basically is i'm not sure if i think that's the official video that's uh it's a, it's, a, it's a very weird one um but it was so the hiatuses were so weird because like at I first know. it would sound like it was it was like the band all hated each other and then after a while you know they do interviews and be like no no we're talking or no we're good friends or no it was it was mutual and it's just such it was so weird being a blink fan in the uh the 2010s for sure um but yeah that would that would probably be my choice and we actually got to see tom play a couple of uh Skiba songs when we saw them uh, a couple months ago because they played bored to death and yep. tom, tom did a pretty good job and cynical yeah T- tom did a really good job though doing uh because Skiba had a really interesting chorus in that in that song and not easy for tom who usually does higher notes and in that one kind of longer more flat notes not something tom usually does um but he did a good job i really like that those versions too he did he did he did a really good job and 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 that's the album, Neil. That is Anima of the State. Uh, Wrap it up. Blink's quintal, quintessential album. And I do have my little monologue here uh, to talk about Anima. With, and, and it really is, it's not even just the quintessential Blink album. It's the quintessential summer punk album. Like, this is, I mean, we're doing this in the summer for a reason. It's This is a perfect August album for sure. We talked about how All Killer No Filler was um, was definitely the, um, the the summer vibe as well. But I feel like Enema is even more like the peak of it. I just picture skating down Venice Beach, um, <laughs> uh, Venice Beach Pier, blasting this from your Sony Discman with your baggy ripped jeans. Like this is the image that you want in your mind when you're when you're listening to this. And uh, it's, it's interesting because they kind of had an issue – making this um this album and it definitely put them in a box uh in a way and credit to them that they tried much more than any other punk pop punk band they tried very hard to come out of that box um to mix results and uh, and honestly to a failed band relationship because of them trying really hard to not be just boxed in as the summer pop punk band and i was thinking of this the other day neil that uh, i'd wager that blink is probably the last big or like best shocking band breakup in music um in popular music like i can't think of another huge breakup that's happened since their breakup in 2004 2005 that was a uh, a shocking in this one and and since then like their the relationship like you said has been extremely tumultuous um since really since enema like enema was the beginning of the band as we know blink as we know blink is like the massive cultural icon uh but it also marked the end or marked the beginning of the end um, for them, you know, they got huge and things got complicated. You know, there are stories of them driving separately to all their shows, right. uh, not speaking to each other. Uh, and, and before the, like before Enema, there was almost no contrast between the Mark, uh, and the Tom songs, uh, and even like Scott being there. Uh, but with Travis and then with them kind of, uh, emerging and going their different ways in terms of musicality, there became a pretty big divide. Uh, between the three of them, you got you have Travis drumming like no one's business, uh, and being about twenty times more talented than, than the rest of the band. We got uh, Tom clearly going towards a more post-hardcore uh, side of things, more intricate songs. I mean, you see that with uh, Boxcar Racer and Aliens and Airwaves with different instrumentation. Uh, Mark uh, certainly aiming for the more stadium cello anthem 
uh, every time. Uh, and then you see that with his own side projects and like plus 44, you could call it too. Uh, but on this album, I'd say more than any other is where, you know, all these divides and all this stuff, it clicked perfectly. And to just get one album of this caliber, uh, like this, uh, from a band, uh, as varied as Blink was, is honestly a miracle. Yeah, and I I know that like there are there are other two albums after this one, Take Off Your Pants, and they're self-titled. Between you and I, we have our issues with both of those albums. They are all three commercial successes. They basically had a trilogy of very successful albums, selling multiple millions around the world, creating basically a cult of Blink fans <laughs> with all of their different logos. They reinvented themselves. Basically every five or six years, it seemed like, like they had their pre-enema era, they had their uh, enema to, I would say, the self-titled era, then they had their hiatus. They came back from, probably from, I guess, like a very short two-year area era with Neighborhoods, then they had their Matt Skiba era, and now they're in this new weird one that they're still, they're, they have kind of a weird identity crisis right now, I think, where they're very much a nostalgia band, but I think they're also still trying to not reinvent pop punk, but still be very much a player in uh, recreating and uh, progressing the genre. So I'm very interested to see what the new album sounds like. Um, I'm going to be the first one listening to it the day it comes out. And uh, I I can't wait to talk about it on this show. Um, I do need to correct you really quick. You said Tom's other project was called Aliens and Airwaves. It is Oh, did I say Aliens and Airwaves? Oh my God. Yeah, that's all right. What a Freudian slip. Easy slip of the tongue to make. No, yeah. Angels and Airwaves too. I mean, that band... Was interesting. Uh, there, there are a couple of songs that he put out as that band where I was like, this is actually not a bad tune. Um, a yeah. couple of them were all right. Very, just a very weird vocal change that he had uh, for a lot of those songs. And Boxcar Racer was another interesting kind of post-punk album that he put out. Um, I, I know, I can only maybe name half that album, like the songs that are on it. And I only know like two of them. Elevator. Um, <laughs> Elevator being the big one. Uh, Letters to God being the other one, of course. But yeah, you made an interesting point there where Blink-182 was like the last big shock breakup band. And it does take a lot for a band to reach that level of success where they break up and fans are not either shocked or disappointed. Like bands break up all the time, but there's not this huge mass pop culture shock around the world kind of thing the only ones that i can think of are like the beatles breaking up that was probably honestly the biggest one before blink 182 is the beatles they broke up in what was that like the early 70s 70 yeah i mean and most of the time like bands break up from like someone dies yeah Uh, (laughs) right uh, this is different though yeah it's just them creatively not going the right way or they're not at their peak, which is mm-hmm. the big one. Like most bands, at least that we know of uh, and that we follow, uh, they end up breaking up because, you know, it's been 20 years or something. And, you know, they've, they've, they're tired of touring. Yeah. Like, they're tired of doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, or they're they're like not that. Yeah. Like they're, they're not that big. They're clearly not making millions of dollars off of this. It's like, right. well, like I, I'd like to spend some time with my family or stuff. And then we'll do some reunions at some point too. Yeah. Or uh, I mean, and there are sometimes where they just do have creative differences, but uh, which are always funny when it's like the smaller bands. It's like, really, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> come on, yeah, yeah. Like when when you can kind of tell that like they're getting older, they're not touring as much. Maybe their their uh, their recorded stuff is not quite sounding as good anymore. That makes sense. Like like yeah. someone like like a Phil Collins. Like it definitely makes sense. Like when he's like, all right. Or Elton John, like I'm announcing my retirement. Everyone's like, it's cool. You're 80. Take a break. Take a break. <laughs> but, you know, the Beatles being on top of the world with their last couple of albums, like Abbey Road and the White Album, it was a shock, like when they disbanded because yeah. they were all still very much on top of their game. They were all very yep. young. Same with Blink. They were only in their, I think, early 30s when they disbanded for the first time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely a shock. Like no FX. They just, I think, 
think late last year announced that they are they are done uh, other than like the That's odd fine. show uh, exactly <laughs> like we're like there wasn't this massive shock like obviously no. people are going to be disappointed they're a, they're an iconic band they've been around since the 80s like it's been like yeah. 50 years of no effects we'll give them a break the only band that i could think of since blink 182 that's broken up that uh caused a shock now it, it probably doesn't register with us because they're not they're not our band it's not our fan base it's a very different subset of people is one direction that's probably oh yeah they would have been they were huge like they yeah, are uh, you know i point. worked in a grocery store for years i was you know we we, we know women we know girls in, in university like <laughs> obviously they were played all over the place they were huge they were selling out massive stadiums around the world they were even younger than blink when they disbanded and uh they they were i think they were a produced group anyway but still it it was it was very much a big shock to that group of people when they disbanded so that would be probably the next closest thing like our parents didn't care when blink 182 broke up uh very much anybody between the ages of 10 and 25 probably cared at the time um but yeah that that's probably the only example i could think of um uh, in terms of a more recent uh disbandment of a of a band it'll be interesting to see who the next band is but uh Honestly, uh, I don't know who that'll be. We'll have to wait and see. But Mike, where do you see the future of Blink-182 going forward? Uh, are we in for another hiatus or are they going to stay together now for the rest of time for the kids? They'll stay together for the kids. No, 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 no. It, we're in for another hiatus. Uh, oh, no. 100%. Yeah, yeah. There's, I, I with, uh, like we've said, these guys are so tumultuous. Like, the, the, they only get back together when, like, something happens. Like, the only reason they got back together in the first place was because of Travis's uh, plane accident. Right. Uh, and his plane crash. Um, that was the only reason because that was the first time all three of them had actually like been together in the same room when they went to visit, when Tom and Mark went to visit him in the hospital. And um, and then after that, they had some like long talks about stuff and they got back together and made an album, uh, which was really cool. Like that, that happened. Sucks for Travis to have to be in a plane crash uh, to, that to was have scary. it happened. Uh, yeah. And uh, what's crazy is like he had like such a fear of flights, uh, fear of planes and, and flying beforehand and then, you know, got in a plane and then crashed. So it's like it's like the um, uh, Alanis Morissette. Uh, <laughs> ironic. <laughs> yeah. A but bit. Um, uh, so, yeah, these guys have had this yeah tumultuous relationship, as, as Mark said on the Mark, Tom and Travis show. I've been on the hating Tom train since 96. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that we will have another hiatus uh, at some point in the future. I'm not saying we're going to have a hiatus immediately, but I, I, I think I would be um, have too, too much rose colored glasses on. I'd be naive to say that uh, that they wouldn't be on hiatus again in the future. Yeah, it's I I feel like I'm in the same boat. Like I think we're going to get this new album. I I don't yeah. know. Like are we going to get two albums out of them before? I don't think so. Like I think no. we're going to get one album and then something's going to come up. Uh like like you said there, there was obviously there ha- they have had their tragedies over the year. Like like uh Travis's um his plane crash in the uh early 2010s was was terrible. Uh that was really scary. When that that hit the news, like that was one of those things like when Chester Bennington died, that was one of those yeah. things where while I was working in the grocery store, um all employees basically stopped what they were doing to find out what yeah. was going on uh cuz it was such like a, an earth-shattering uh news headline. Uh and then even I think the most recent reunion was brought on because of uh Mark's, Mark, cancer. Mark, Mark's cancer. Yeah, he's yeah. he's currently cancer-free, which is fantastic. Um but I think that that had a lot to do with their with their reunion. Honestly, whenever they reunite, I always think it's because Tom needs money to build his spaceship. And I think I don't think I'm that I don't think I'm that far off from You're not that, that far being off. true. No, I think I'm I'm very close to that being the case cuz they're making 
they're making probably what six figures a night each like whenever they play these shows so they're making yeah. good money uh when they play these sold out arenas charging 200 plus a ticket um they're doing very well but i really hope that the that their new album is good i hope that it resonates with the old fans and brings in some new ones um obviously they have a growing fan base all the time because they have all of their fans since the 90s and kids today are discovering blink 182 who i think are now considered a classic rock band which is horrifying to me um <laughs> but young kids are getting into them and uh you know parents get to share the joy of listening to uh dysentery gary uh, while they drive in the car together to uh to the beach or whatever it is that they're doing this summer uh, and, and that's all you can ask for that's all you can ask for neil <laughs> yeah but mike while i'm sitting here waiting for blink 182 to disband so that tom can go out there and finally bring us back bring us back the aliens and show us what they what they actually look like <laughs> why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 25 of the unlocking what was cool podcast next week on episode 25 i am uh i'm gonna be out again neil uh and you're gonna have to do the show with my ghost baby i guess i don't know with, uh, uh, with something uh but uh no we are gonna have a friend of the show josh from the still loading podcast he's gonna join us to talk about star wars galactic battlegrounds which is i know one of neil's favorite uh games of all time for sure i have played it as well i enjoy it uh but i can certainly not talk about it uh as much as neil and josh can so they're gonna take the reins on that great game uh and uh and i'm uh, i'm excited to listen to it i'll be a listener for this one yeah that's gonna be a lot of fun i'm excited i'm excited for you to go to japan and come back with some interesting stories but uh you know us we don't want to miss a week and i love star wars galactic battlegrounds i played it for probably close to 100 hours as a kid had the disc no idea why my parents bought it we weren't rts fans <laughs> but we were star wars fans so i guess that yep. it made a lot of sense but it's a classic pc game it's uh it's probably what got me into pikmin later on and it kept my love of star wars alive in between the prequel movies and the original trilogy um so it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about it josh is a very great wealth of knowledge in terms of all old games including pc games i actually don't know what his take is on star wars in general so i'm probably going to have to talk to him a little bit about that because i'm not sure if we've had him on for any of our star wars episodes but uh so it's going to be a Star Wars episode all around. So it's going to be a ton of fun. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 24 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get to participate in our monthly Patreon elected episode. Thank you so much to everybody over there who supports our show. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Scott Rayner, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. Scott Rayner, don't see waste. You later. <laughs> Scott Rayner, see you around. Come on, you're not fooling anyone, Mark. <laughs> yeah, poor Scott Rayner. I wonder what he's up to these days. We should look into him. See, apparently see he's, he's a cop. No way. Yeah, that's awesome. Imagine getting pulled just... over by Scott Rayner. <laughs> just like, weren't you the guy in the Josie music video? <laughs> and then he starts crying.